Thank you. How's everyone doing? Good. Sit that right there. So yeah, my name is Marcus. My name is Marcus Corpening. I'm from uh, North Carolina originally. And uh, yeah, that's right. Woo, one in the back. Woo, woo. And uh, I've been in Korea now for eight years. <sighs> Thank you all for reminding me how old I am. But I don't look old, right? Like I look young. 29. 29. I, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It is. It is. I'm, I'm actually 30. So I look, I look my age. Not encouraged. I'm going to ask everyone, actually, everyone in the back, can you guys just all just come up, fill fill these seats up, sit next to someone? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm all about being close. So I'm just going to tell you real quick, I may just walk around. I'm going to get in your personal space. I hope that's perfectly fine. Don't worry, I won't touch you. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was actually on staff with Emmaus. Um, I won't say what year because that, once again, that will remind me of how long ago it was. But I was on staff with Emmaus and I was actually an exchange student, um, not at Korea University, but at Yonsei. And uh, and um, yeah, I was at, at Yonsei. And then that's where God actually encountered me. He transformed my life. And and since then. It's just been an amazing roller coaster. Um, it's had its ups and it's it's ups and it's ups and then it's downs every now and then, but it's been mostly up and I've really enjoyed it. I've had a chance to travel all throughout Asia um, to America as well to just preach and minister. Um, and I recently got married. I liked it. So I put a ring on it, you know what I'm saying? And and she put her she put her ring on it too, so I guess she liked it, and uh, <laughs> and so yeah, I recently got married, and you know something that I've been learning as I got married is something that God has been teaching me lately, and this is what I'm going to talk about tonight. Something that God has been using my wife to teach me, not just like you know to make the bed every day. I don't know how many of you guys do that, but that was a huge issue, apparently. Like, I got to get up and I got to make the bed. Like, it's got to be crisp. The pillows need to be in the right spots. Um, it was wild. Like, everything has to be in its place. But anyways, the biggest thing that my, that my wife has been teaching me or that God has been using my wife to teach me, and this is the title of tonight's message, is... The biggest thing that God's been teaching me at the core of who I am and that has been rocking me, changing my mindset, breaking off discouragement, helping me to understand Jesus more, helping me to live a life of joy, helping me to understand grace. It's just been doing an amazing thing for my life. Can't you tell? It's been that I am not a good person. The title of tonight's message, the topic I want to talk to you about is that you are not a good person. Why don't you just take a moment and tell the person next to you, say, hey, you are not a good person. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) 
just tell three people right now. Tell them. Say, you be, be really like bold about it. Point. Say, you are not a good person. Go ahead. Some of y'all are a little, some of y'all are a little too shy. Like, you are not a good person. You're not a good person. That's what the title of tonight's message. I want to talk to you about this topic that you are not a good person. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn or scroll to Luke 18. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 18 to 30. And so I know for some of you, maybe you don't have your Bibles. And so we put it up here on the PowerPoint because I am not a good person, but I am a nice person. And so put it up here for you guys. And so we're going to I'm going to read it out, but I want you to just look along with me and then I'm going to pray for us. Luke 18 verses 18 to 30. It says, and a ruler asked him talking about Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. How about that, Jesus? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the rich young ruler, when the ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. Now, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Other translations just say how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Just bow our heads. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. You say, sanctify us by your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that as your word is preached today, God, that it would change our hearts, that it would break off deception. It would establish us in truth and it would help us to live a life pleasing to you. Not only a life pleasing to you, God, but a life that actually changes other lives. And God, that you would use us, you would speak to us, you would transform us. And God, you would begin in our hearts. You would continue that momentum, God that that momentum would have lasting impact here at KU and in the lives of those here. We thank you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the moment I said that you are not a good person, I, the look on you guys' face is, you know, like the temperature changed. It got colder, right? Uh, actually, but yeah, can we turn that down a little bit? It's, <laughs> I'm like about to have icicles coming down from my ears. Um, but yeah, let's turn that, turn that down. But here in this passage, we find that this passage of scripture, this story about the rich ruler, it actually is in all three gospels well, in three of the gospels and not in John. But this story is found in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And so what we find here in this story is that Jesus is with his homies, right? He's with his disciples and they walk up into a village 
And the moment they walk into the village, the Bible says, you can keep the passage up there. Uh, the Bible says that a ruler walks up to him. Now, the word ruler is actually in the original language means a prince, meaning that this guy was actually he was rich. You know what I'm saying? He was really rich. He was like, you know, what some of us want to be rich. And then he was young. So he was a prince, meaning he was young, meaning he was probably around our age. Right. <laughs> right. You know, because thank you. Come on. Thank you, Rose. But not only was he wealthy, he was wealthy and he was young and he had influence. So he went to school, he got his degree, and then he got a good job. He started making money. And not only did he start making money, but he got promotions. And so he was in society. Everyone recognized him. He had influence. It's essentially what every college student wants, right? It's like what all of us want. It's what most people want. We want wealth. We want to stay young. You know what I'm saying? Like you see, you walk down, walk down through Korea. You see, you see like 40 year olds wearing skinny jeans. It's not a good sight, but it's out there. Right. And then influence, meaning that we want people to recognize us. We want people to recognize that we have a purpose and not just that we have a purpose, but that we have impact. And this guy has it all. He has it all. He has wealth. He has youth and he has influence. And this guy, he but he's lacking something. There's something that is not satisfied. He feels like, you know, he's that driven, goal-oriented person. And so he feels like, you know what, there's something more I can get. And so when he finds out that Jesus is in the city, he walks up to Jesus and he's like, hey, yo, Jesus, a good teacher, right? He comes in with a compliment, right? Hey, what's going on, good teacher? What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, if he was talking to me, I would have started to tell him, like, well, you know, you need to believe in me. You need to read your Bible five times a day. You need to do all these different things. But Jesus doesn't respond to him that way. You know, he comes to him and he, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins to transform not just what you must do to inherit eternal life, but he begins to address primarily his understanding of good. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you would think Jesus would answer that question. But instead, what does Jesus say? He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus wasn't here saying he's not God, but he was saying something about the nature of goodness that this man walked up and had. And so we see that good in Jesus's eyes is very different than good in the rich young ruler's eyes. And so then Jesus begins to speak to him and he's, he begins to give him these commandments. Right. You know, the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He lists them off. Right. You say you're good. No one's good. You know, the commandments don't murder. Don't sleep around. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie and honor your father and mother. And then how does the rich young ruler, how does the ruler respond? Right. He doesn't respond like, oh, man, I'm, I'm totally jacked up. Oh, man, I'm totally not a good person. Like, oh, man. How does he respond? He says, you know what, Jesus? I've been doing this since I was young. You know what, Jesus? You're going you're gonna to say these? 
been doing it my whole life. Jesus, I'm good. But what we don't understand here is that Jesus begins to articulate a morality and this man begins to agree with a morality that has to do with not taking something away from other people. Look, the first thing he says is, do not commit adultery. That means don't take away love from another person, right? Do not murder. What is murder? Murder is taking someone's life. Don't take away life. Do not steal. Don't take away someone's possessions. Don't lie. Don't take away truth. Honor your father and mother. Don't take away honor. I mean, when all of us read this list, what do we think? At least, hopefully, most of us, we're like, Hey, I'm doing pretty good, too. Anybody in here killed anybody lately? Hopefully not. Right? Has anybody committed adultery? None of y'all married, right? And I haven't either, okay? (laughs) Do not steal. Uh, If we're talking about MP3s or something or movies. Oh, I guess. (laughs) But when we look at this list, most of us would agree with this understanding of what it means to be good. I'm a good person if I don't murder, if I don't steal. I'm a good person if I don't lie, if I don't commit adultery, you know, cheating. Like if you watch any romantic comedy, if you watch any movie nowadays, cheating, that's still the big thing. Like when when you find out that guy who was going after that girl is also seeing another girl, it's like, what? He is awful. He's a dog, right? (laughs) Like when you find out that that person who has all these different things is also stealing from other people. It's like, how wicked is that, right? But so most of us, even when we look at this, we say, you know what? I'm pretty good too. Most of us, when we look at ourselves and we think of ourselves and we think about where we stand, we would probably say that we're good. You know, most of my friends that are back home in in America that don't know Jesus, you know, my testimony was that I was atheist for six years. I grew up in a in a household where we went to church only on Christmas and Easter. Right. Those are the only times because that's when my mom felt guilty. Like it was like Christmas, Easter. Those are the only times. I mean, Christmas has Christ in the name. You got to go to church that day. And so we would go then. But every other time we didn't go. And so. At once I hit a certain age, I said, you know what? God's not real. I don't believe in this. This doesn't help me out any. And so I completely turned away from God. I started clubbing, partying, doing all these things. And most of my friends did the same thing. And when I even think about my friends, I would say like even now they're married with children. Some of some of them aren't married, but they're still like they all have jobs. They don't break laws. And I would say, man, they're pretty good people. Most of us would understand ourselves to be, by this standard, good people. I mean, he lays this out before him and he says, you know what? All of these things I've kept from my youth. Come on. Come on, Eunice. What do you you mean telling me about? I'm a good person. What do you mean that guy in my class? Why should I invite him out to Emmaus? He's a good person. Why should I even talk to anyone else about Jesus? You know, we're all good people. Like this is how the world understands good. The world understands good in terms of not taking away something from someone else. We're all good people. I shouldn't, I shouldn't prevent your happiness and you shouldn't prevent my happiness. 
That's why in, in America right now, the big issue is gay marriage. Ooh, can we talk about some? <laughs> Everyone's changing their profile pictures to rainbows. Why is that? And even Christians are doing the same thing. And, and then when you talk to them about it, you say, hey, well, God's word says, well, why would you, why can't you just let them be happy? Why would you take away love from them? They're essentially good people. Why do I want to get in and impede anyone's happiness? That's not good. That's immoral. Why would I want to tell my friend to stop sleeping around? What? They're essentially good people. They don't break any laws. Why would I ever want to actually confront someone about a certain area of their life? Why would I even want to tell them about Jesus? Because essentially we're all good people. You know, this understanding that every person is inherently good is actually an early church. It's a it's a heresy. You know, the word heresy heresy means a false belief, a lie, something that looks like it's truth, but it's actually at its root a lie. And but it uses the Christian like it's it's a lie with Christian clothes on. Right. That's heresy. And there's this heresy called Pelagianism. Everyone say Pelagianism. Pelagianism. We're, all, we're all college educated, right? We, or being college educated, we can, we can talk about big words, right? Pelagianism. Some of y'all like, I feel like I'm in class. I'm going to fall asleep again. <laughs> Pelagius was a guy in, in 40 AD. So when the church was, was early church was being um, created, the early church was coming to, to um formation Pelagius was this guy who came out and he started teaching something that looked like Christianity but inherently it wasn't and Pelagianism was essentially this it was that every person that original sin you know Adam and Eve right they they were there in the garden naked without shame having fun walking around eating apples eating bananas you know other stuff was happening there but we ain't gonna talk about it and then All of a sudden, the serpent comes in. The serpent comes in, deceives them. They eat the fruit, right? And for the Christian, we understand that that's when sin enters humanity. And from that place, every human being who's ever been born is born with sin, meaning that the internal locus of your heart, the internal direction of your heart is not towards good. It's towards evil. It's not towards doing the right thing. It's always actually towards doing the wrong thing. And unless Jesus changes your heart, you don't do that. But Pelagius came and said, actually, I don't think that's true. Actually, I think that every person is inherently good. Yeah, I know that sin happened and everything, but Jesus came. He took care of it. And now all of us are inherently good. And so now it's our decisions that decide whether we're good or evil. And what we don't realize is most of us believe this heresy and we don't even know it. When you watch movies, when you read the news, when you talk to people on campus, most people are Pelagianists, meaning that they believe that every person is inherently good. Living a good life means I don't upset anyone, I don't offend anyone, and I don't cause anyone any problems. And this is what this ruler had. He believed he was a good person. 
But then we see here, verse 22, what does it say? It says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus, all of a sudden, and it says, what, what was his response? It says he got really sad. And then he left. Why? Because he was really rich. Now, tonight's message is not me telling you to go sell everything you got. Because most people, when they read this passage, they get really depressed. <laughs> they're like, man, I'm nothing like this guy. I, I can't do this either. But see, what happens is that he comes before Jesus and he says, you know what, Jesus, I'm essentially a good person. I do the right thing. I do. And Jesus says, hold up. One thing you lack. Sell everything and come and follow me. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to redefine everything. Why does he tell him to sell everything? Why does he tell him to give up everything? It's because Christianity is primarily not about what is what you take away. Christianity is primarily about what you're willing to give. Christianity is primarily not about what's taken away. Christianity is primarily about what you're willing to give. See, Jesus here, he said, one thing you still lack. And you would think if he said one thing you still lack, he would say, now let me help you receive. Right. One thing you still lack. Oh, what is it, Jesus? Here, help me to receive it. Give me something new. I want to receive it. I want to receive it. And that's our thinking primarily because the way we think is oftentimes inward focused. But then he says, actually, if you want to follow me, you've got to instead think about someone else. And primarily in this moment, he reveals the issue of our hearts. And it's that all of us are primarily selfish. This is what I've been finding out in marriage. I am primarily selfish. Even when I think I'm doing something selfless, I realize it's still really selfish. (laughs) Case in point, okay? I'm not venting, I'm just sharing. (laughs) So me and my wife, right? Okay, so... One night, my, my wife, she is, she'll be preaching at KU, I think, in a month. So you'll get a chance to meet her. But she's a, she's a seminary student at Torch Trinity, which is on the other side of Seoul. And so she's there usually late into the evening studying. And I came home one night, and I was like, you know what? It was our first month of marriage. So we're newlyweds, honeymoon stage. I love her. You know, I want to do everything for her. I love you, girl. You know? And so I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to do the laundry I'm going to fold the laundry. I'm going to sweep the floor. I'm going to make the bed. I'm going to clean. I'm going to wash the dishes. I'm going to clean everything. I'm going to put the house in order. Because I'm selfless like that. I'm going to love my wife like Jesus. So I'm up in the house and I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm singing praise songs, you know, and I'm, You know, I'm just up in there like, Lord, I offer my life to you. You know, I'm just in it. And and then when she comes home, I'm like, babe, babe, look at this house. I was like, babe, look at at the laundry. 
See the dishes? I'm like, I'm like, look at this floor. You see this floor? You know my wife's response? She was like, so? She said, she said, she said, she said, that's basic. I was like, basic? Hold up. Wait a second. Did you see this floor? Look at these clothes. Look at these clothes. I folded everything. I folded your socks. You know how hard it is to fold socks? And she said, she looked at the socks and she said, but that's not, that's not how I like my clothes folded. Actually, oh, what, what you did over there, I mean, that's nice, but that's not how. In fact, Marcus, all of this you did, you never asked me if, if this was actually going to bless me. You, and then she said, you did it not because you thought it would bless me. You did it because you thought my response would bless you. I thought I was a good person. I sat there and thought, man, you see what everything, but really what I was doing was I was, I was serving myself when thinking I was serving someone else. This, this rich ruler, he came before Jesus and he, everyone thought, man, this guy, look at him. He's so holy. He's good teacher. What must I do? But when Jesus told him to sell everything, his heart was exposed. He wasn't up there trying to actually follow Jesus. He was doing it because he wanted everyone else to see that he had followed Jesus. He was up there primarily because it wasn't about Jesus. It was really about him. Because when Jesus said, sell everything you have. And give it to someone else. Someone who can never pay you back. Someone who won't acknowledge you for it. And then just follow me, obey me, sell your plans and follow my plan, sell your time and give me your time, sell everything you have. He walked away sad because because the only person he was really worshiping was himself. You know, and it's interesting here because in this passage, Jesus says he lists the commandments. He says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And then when the rich young ruler speaks to him, Jesus says, he says, one thing you still lack. And when I look at this passage, I'm always a little confused, right? Because I'm like, you know, Jesus, you're God, right? You can count. I don't see 10 commandments there, right? Like, I know God made seven days. Can he not count past seven? Like, one. How many commandments we got here? We got one, two, three, four, five. But then Jesus says, one thing you still lack. 
He says one thing you still lack because these aspects of the Ten Commandments, he's referencing the Ten Commandments, which Jews refer to as the Ten Statements. These, ten, these five statements are the second half. They're only half of the ten. And these can be summed up in love your neighbor as you, as yourself, right? And this is how most of us understand good. I just love my neighbor as myself. And we interpret that to mean me loving my neighbor means I don't do anything to offend my neighbor, anything that may be construed as offensive by my neighbor, anything that would reach out and cost me anything for my neighbor. As long as I let my neighbor do what they want to do and I do what I want to do, that's love. Selfish. But the other five are summed up in one statement. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's listed as you should worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. You shall not make yourself a graven image and bow down before it. You shall keep the Sabbath day. You shall make it holy. You shall not work then. There's all these commandments that all have to do with worship and giving ourselves to God. And what is revealed in this moment for this, this ruler is that his issue is not, it has nothing to do with other people. His issue is primarily the fact that he's not willing to give anything to God. See, everyone else thinks he's a good person, but his real issue is between him and God. See, worship to God isn't about what you take. It's about what you're willing to give. And therefore, the only way to measure morality isn't about what you receive. It is about how far you're willing to go. Do you really love the Lord? And Pastor Christian, our, our lead pastor, he said this a couple Sundays ago. He said, the opposite of love is selfishness. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. When you say do not murder, what it's really talking about is murder is essentially I love myself more than I love that person's life. Lying is I love myself more than I love truth. Adultery, I love my own pleasure more than I love honoring someone else. That's an adultery biblically means sexual immorality. It means lust. It means I love my own pleasure more than I love someone else's dignity. honoring my father and mother it means i if you don't do that it means i love myself more than i love honor ultimately i love myself more than i love god and the opposite of good is actually not evil the opposite of good is selfishness because selfishness always leads to evil You know, the interesting thing is that here in this moment, the disciples respond. Well, Jesus, he he walks away, right? He walks away because he's so sad. He's so convicted. He's like, actually, you know what? 
I'm really selfish and I'm not willing to change. And so he walks away. And Jesus says how difficult it is to enter into the kingdom. It's better off a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's not saying, like, let's get a camel. Let's try to put it through it. No, he's saying it's impossible. And then all the disciples seeing this happen, you know what they say? They say, oh, my gosh, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Because all of a sudden they're watching and then they realize, man, I am selfish, too. In fact, when I stand before God, I'm I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it for him. When I come out to Emmaus, I'm doing it for my own conscience. I'm not doing it because I love Jesus. I'm doing it so I won't feel guilty tomorrow. When I serve, I'm not doing it for God. I'm doing it ultimately for myself. When I, that's why I don't come to pray. See, that's why most people don't pray. Because prayer primarily is not about you. When you close your eyes to pray, it's not about you. And so most people don't want to pray. Why? Because it's not about me. My Facebook, if I, if I see something on my timeline I don't like, I can click X. But I can't do that with the word of God. So I don't read it because if I see something I don't like, I can't click X. My Instagram, if I see a post I don't like, I can always click unfollow. But when you live like that with Jesus, you are not following him. So there's this issue of selfishness. I don't think there's any person in this room who's not selfish. You know why? Because we're because of sin. Each and every one of us are born with it. You ever seen a baby? So selfish. They're so selfish. It's shocking. The interesting thing is, though, you don't lose your selfishness. You just get better about masking it. Babies are just not good at masking their selfishness. We're just really good at masking it. And so they say, what can we do? Who can be saved? Because if this is our heart posture, then we will always stay stuck. Whenever you're stuck as a Christian, whenever you feel dry as a Christian, you know what your issue is? It's not the preaching. It's not the worship. It's not your familiar leader. It's not any of those things. The primary issue is selfishness because God doesn't bless selfishness because Christianity is all about selflessness. Love is that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. So how do we save this? How do we deal with this? Right? I'm not trying to leave you guys all walking away, man. Like, man, I'm so selfish. The, the way that God deals with our selfishness is good news. It's good news primarily because of the fact that we find in the Bible that Jesus loves selfish people. He hung out with selfish people. He called selfish people to himself. But he only called selfish people who were willing to admit that they were selfish. And the Bible has a word for those people. It's called sinners. He said, the son of man came not to call the righteous, but to save sinners. You know what that means? That just means people who are willing to admit. 
I'm hecka selfish. But Jesus, I know that you can touch me and change me and continue to renew me to make me less and less selfish and more and more selfless. See, the example of Christ on the cross and the example of Christ we see who is risen and alive right now is that he lives and he exists not not for himself, but for us, that we might not that we might live not for ourselves but for him. And so when we bring God our selfishness and we say, God, you know what? I've been living so self-centered. You know what he responds with? He responds with his grace and love. And then in that moment, we begin to experience his selflessness for us. And he covers our selfishness with his love and then begins to teach us how to live selflessly. You know what KU needs is not a bunch of selfish Christians. Because selfish Christians look just like the world because the world is filled with selfish people. See, this campus won't change if, if you guys look just like they do. What KU is waiting for, what the people around you, what your family, what people are waiting for is for Christians to actually be like Christ. And that means that we live selflessly. That means that we're willing to say, you know what? I'm not going to look out for me today. But instead... Hey, what do you need? How can I serve you? How can I pray for you? Hey, you know that that sin you're in? You know that's not good for you? Hey, how about you turn from this? Hey, do you want to come to large group with me? No? Hey, you want to get coffee instead? After large group, you know, because you should. (laughs) Christians are called to be countercultural. And when the culture is selfishness, then being countercultural means to be selfless. Christianity is the most attractive thing in the world. When people see, see real Christians living like Christ, empowered by his spirit, they cannot help but flock to it. But selfish Christianity is the most repugnant thing in the world. When people see Christians living selfishly and only worried about themselves and only looking out for themselves, it is what pushes them away the quickest. But how do we fix it? We bring in our selfishness and we say, God, you know what? I turn away from this life. I turn away from always thinking about me. Jesus, let me see you, how you lived Never living for yourself, but always living for us. Let me begin to experience your spirit that I may be equipped to live for someone else and not myself. And then when you begin to live like that, everything around you begins to change. I started off by saying the title of this message is you are not a good person. And that is true. But that is you in your sinful nature. But when you experience the Holy Spirit, when you continue to experience the grace of God and you come before him asking him for grace, what he does is he gives you a new heart. And you begin not to live as not a good person, but you begin to live like a Christ-like person. And that kind of person is powerful. Amen. Let's bow our heads and we're just going to